This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burroughs Memorial Day sale at burrowcom slash ACAST. That's burrowcom slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. I'm in my new place and my neighbours literally um, knocked on my door and said, now we're neighbours, it's good for us to share food. Now nah, you're all right, mate. Remember that time I cooked you a salad? Anyway, should we get going? Let's, 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 let's. Hello and welcome to episode 62 of The Front Free. My name is Adam Bullard. Joining me as always is the one and only Lawrence McKenna. Good evening. How are you doing? Great great results tonight, guys. Great results. Big night. And uh, one nil also- Sterling. Oh, one nil Sterling. And we've also got Chris Hennage here as well. Good evening. Good evening. Uh, Squawker Dave, Dave O'Brien himself, he's en route back from a spurred on live stream. Uh, it's gone AWOL. We haven't heard from him. <laughs> I think Dave just has a lot on at the moment. Yes. In many ways, he's, he's done an Adam Bullwood, stumbling around the streets. No, Adam, don't try and project your actions onto other people. It was worth <laughs> a shot. Anyway, <laughs> thank you once again for listening, for downloading Front Free, whether it's on SoundCloud or iTunes. If you are listening through iTunes, stop what you're doing right now. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast first and foremost. And secondly, if you're truly one of the whole, go and rate and review our podcast because it helps us out massively. Uh, comment of the week anyway good place to start uh, there was only ever going to be one winner and that was MLB Hall of Misery after our quite desperate uh, suggestion last week that people go and tweet at Nike uh, to suggest that they sponsor us for the Copper America tour all three of you did it and we really appreciate that but MLB's <laughs> tweet was uh, particularly uh, beautiful at Nike kindly present your corporate tea to the front three for the hashtag Copper America that they might suckle it to milky podcasting glory I like what kind of uh, yeah that, I mean let's not imagine those teats yeah that's yeah. not but he did say get yourselves over here to Pasadena for the Copper America and you won't want for pints lads is anyone just else just imagining a massive pair of ticks and I want to be very clear I said ticks Okay, excellent. Yeah. Um, so anyway, thank you very much for your comment, MLB Hall of Misery, comment of the week there. Thank you for your invitation over to, to Pasadena. No word from Nike yet, so we're not sure if that's actually going to happen despite your lovely tweet. Um, but thank you anyway. Thanks. Listen, let's get on with the podcast, oh, oh. What a night of footballing action. Not just in the Premier League, um, further afield, but let's focus on the Premier League for now. I think arguably the biggest result of the night, Lawrence. Mm. Uh, is Stoke City 1 Newcastle nil? What? I mean, Arsenal oh, lost right, okay. at home 
to Swansea lines. Back-to-back defeats. Arsenal fans right now are fuming on Twitter. Mm. Wenger out, trending once again. Oh, is it? Uh, Yes, of course it is. I thought that was a permanent uh, installation. Yeah, it's just always there. Um, But yeah, another disappointing defeat. They took the lead took the lead against Swansea, um, a team who haven't won in their past five games. And then and they yeah. just crumbled. Yeah. I mean, what is going on at Arsenal right now? Because, you know, as a Spurs fan, I've been on the Twitter. A lot of angry Arsenal fans tweeting at me. Uh, we had scouting for FIFA tweeting at me. He's, he's finally come around to the idea of Wenger out. A staunch Wenger supporter, he said, before this game. Uh, I also had Finbar McMahon, good old Finbar, tweeting me and saying, you know, that he, he's sort of... He's sort of very upset about that. He, what he, he describes as a lack of leaders in this team. Um, I, I mean, I don't think it's just one thing. I, I think a lot of, I mean, that's the good thing about Twitter. It's like a hive mind. It kind of brings all these things together. And I think part of it is it's um, when, when there is pressure on the side, then you've got to question whether part of it is the, the, the synergy between system and individual in the side. And if the individuals can't play the system, a lot of the time the manager has to find another solution. Um, it's also that I think very, you know, there's not been, I mean, one really consistent team this season in the way that they've played. And I think Arsenal sort of suffer for that reason, because part of that is, I mean, you know, you can obviously say Leicester, but even the way that Leicester have played, I mean, Chris and uh, Dave and I discussed this on the video on YouTube just last week. It's, you know, there are consistencies, but there's not one consistent way. And I think Arsenal have tried a lot of systems, but the problem is there's a lot of truisms about Arsenal, which, uh, when they lose, seem to come up time and time again. And I've got, I mean, a lot of people are putting mentality forward. That's mm. a very sort of broad term, isn't it? It is. I mean, Kristen, what do you make of Arsenal? Because Arsene Wenger is taking a lot of the flack right now, but what do you think of what Lawrence is saying there? Is their main problem uh, mental? Is it technical? Is it tactical? Or is it sort of a combination of all of those? Well, that's the interesting thing is there's a bit of a dichotomy forming between the idea that they don't have winners or the right mentality and then those who say actually it's purely tactical. And, and Michael Cox wrote something this week for ESPN, I believe, pointing to that and saying the idea that they don't have winners is, is ludicrous and it's, it's really outdated as a concept. The, the interesting point you brought up there was you look at Leicester and Tottenham and you, you wouldn't say they have typical leaders you know the, the sort of people who uh, you know uh, give everything put everything on the line you know you think of Patrick Vieira you think of the likes of John Terry Leicester and Tottenham don't really have those players and yet they are they're doing just fine is that not perhaps because they haven't been in this position before so we haven't really been able to evaluate them in that sense I mean yeah, if you I, I do Leicester, feel like that, that they, is a problem. they came up yeah they, you know they earned promotion so you've, you've got to have some kind of character to do that I think across a what is a 46-game season, so it's an even longer season than a Premier League season. And it's quite an actual, actually quite an arduous campaign to, to go through. I, th- I think, realistically, the truth lies somewhere in the middle. I don't think you have to say it is tactical or it is mental. What I think you can say is there are certainly instances at the weekend, and even against Swansea, where they just seemed very meek. They didn't seem to have much aggression about them. Now, I don't think that relates to leadership or anything like that. What I think it relates to is a bit of a complacency about Arsenal that we have seen come to the fore before and that when they're expected to dominate a situation and take that opportunity, they don't have the sort of mean streak in them almost that I think was present before. I would also say there there is tactical issues as well and I think Michael made some really good points, particularly the one about a, a deeper line playmaker, someone like Cazola or even Ram- Ramsey, to sit there and just pick passes. And 
and start to really thread things together. It it meant that they didn't really have a, an initiation point for their attacks. And like I said, I think I think both issues have relevance in the in the discussion. So we don't need to to limit ourselves. Well, it is also that when someone when anyone shuts down that point of attack for Arsenal, does become somewhat of an issue. Um, and I you know I think that's part of the problem with them as well. Is you know if you shut down certain tactical avenues they don't necessarily push through in other ways. Um, and there, you know, there are times where, you know, people speak about them passing it around, trying to pass it in and things, but that did essentially give them different routes to goal. You know, it wasn't just about going through Kazola or going through, um, any of the other options they've got up front, like Ozil or any of those other guys, um, or even Sanchez, someone like that. And when he was out, they managed to find other options. The Joel Campbell goal was a lovely goal tonight. It was a really nice finish. Well, let me, I mean, Kristen sort of mentioned it there about, uh, the, the, the tactical aspect of it, how Arsenal don't have that deep line playmaker. And I think what Michael Cox brought up in this article as well, I'll definitely try and link to it uh, in the description of this podcast. But he also said that the difference is that Spurs and Leicester is what they do off the ball. It's their organize, organizational aspect um, without the ball that makes a difference for them. And we hear constantly about how Arsene Wenger doesn't really set up to negate teams. He goes out, sets up his Arsenal team to play the way they play. They don't necessarily adapt themselves for different opponents. So a lot of fans you see turning against Wenger from that aspect. We also saw it was almost very mutinous atmosphere when Joel Campbell got substituted off. I mean, you're talking there about how he took the goal and how he impressed for Arsenal. Do you think Wenger how is, much the, of it, is the well, problem? I mean, is what I'm, I'm trying to get at because I think although we've all got a lot of respect for Wenger over what he's done over time, but do you feel like he, he, he's never going to do it again? We've come to the point now where it's almost, I think Kristen mentions there about the, the mentality. You know, Leicester and Tottenham are almost playing about pressure. They've never been in this position before. There's a freedom to it, whereas Arsenal, maybe they do have this mental block because this happens time and time again. Maybe they need well, it's a new also, I guess it's also about, uh, there are elements of belief, I think, to different sides. And, you know, that, that is part of the mentality. And, you, you I mean, it, it would be very misguided to draw a line between when Arsenal fans have their bipolar swing towards confidence. Um, but it, part of the problem is, I mean, living in London, and, you know, you can watch Arsenal fan TV and these kind of things. It does sort of go, well, that was a very solid 1-0 uh, there against Ford at home, guys. Well done. We got through that one. Yeah, let's take the momentum on from here. We're clearly going to win the league. And you're like, wait a minute, what? And... And then they sort of go, yeah, yeah, well, we've won, we've won it. We've won it now. We've got it now. If we're not confident, you know, if we don't have confidence. And I do sort of feel like there's a, there's almost a lack of synergy between, and a lack of trust between the Arsenal fans and the people around them. Um, you know, that, that plays out in so many different ways. And I know, I know it happens to a lot of clubs. You know, there's a lot of people who do not trust the way they're portrayed in the media, etc. But even then there is something very special about the way that Arsenal managed to self-destruct. And I imagine that must be, that is incredibly frustrating. Yeah, because I think a, all fans have been through that. I think you what know? you point out is the lack of consistency. I mean, you say there's no team that can sort of uh, pull away almost. We saw Spurs win six games in a row and you can't see this Arsenal team doing that. I mean, since the turn of the year, they've only won three Premier League games. And like you say, it's so up and down. They beat Leicester in the last minute. It felt like a real turning point in the title race. All of a sudden, they lose back to back against this Manchester United team, and of course, a Swansea team who, you know, although they did well at Spurs on the weekend, this is a team that Arsenal should be beating. As I said, this is now their, their only win in the last five games. The fact remains, though, Kristen, 
that Arsenal aren't actually out of the title race. Yes, they are six points behind Leicester now. Mm. But it, it does make it a massive North London derby on Saturday afternoon. Arsenal three points behind Spurs now. It does. I think it means more to Tottenham at this point now. I, I think, as you say, we can't see Arsenal producing that consistency. And if you look across the last two games, I think, again, you look at that midfield and you say, OK, against Man United, they missed a playmaker, but they had Coquelin. Tonight, they had Coquelin, and the Routledge goal is, is quite, quite literally a, a hot knife through butter. It's, it's not the, the best goal in the world you want to concede. It's, it's really quite poor, in fact. And Look, I, th- I think the genuine problem Arsenal fans in general have here is that, yes, they, they perhaps, at least what we see through these YouTube channels, swing between the Wenger in, Wenger out bandwagon. I think, realistically, if you sat them down and, and asked them to evaluate it, they would want Arsene Wenger out. I think the time for him has come. I think he's been there too long. I think there's, there's too much... Uh, dirt in the wheels it, it's not moving forward in the same way that it has previously and this is something I discussed with, with people on Twitter last night the idea that if Tottenham win the league then he has to go his position becomes untenable and I say that purely because at that point Tottenham have elevated themselves above Arsenal they've gone from being the noisy neighbour to the team that are winning even at this stage Tottenham look far more likely to me to collect the Premier League title than Arsenal do and that's the problem is that again the loyalty that Wenger has showed to his players in keeping players around who simply don't perform to the level of title winners. And I think this is the important distinction. Yes, they will get you to fourth, undeniably. Will they win you a Premier League title? The simple answer is no, because a lot of them have been bought from lesser clubs. Few of them have actually been bought from the elite clubs that often tend to shop at Arsenal and pull those players with that potential away. Is that not part of the... Is that not part of the uh system though is that you know there's a point where the players have to become elite um and yeah. i think wenger in the past sort of prided himself on finding those players and turning them into players that that's where the problem lies is that he's shown them far too much loyalty in the same way you could argue with a very ruthless mindset the arsenal loyal. board have shown wenger too much loyalty in the sense that you have you have to cut the cord if he's not doing it and that's the problem is he's not i mean by, by its definition, if you call anything too much, then that's obviously a negative. I, I would contest that they've shown Wenger too much loyalty because I actually think that what Arsenal, you know, what we're judging is that Arsenal maybe wanted to win the league in that time. I know that sounds ridiculous to say, but if you look at it, then this is a club with consistency in at least their finishes, which is above what, say, uh, a Liverpool have had over the last few years. It's also a club maybe that is very scared of making the transition away from Arsene Wenger because they're not quite sure where Definitely. to go after that. It's interesting. I think I think Kristen Tushner there, the, the manager's job is to recognise that though in, in terms of the players. He has to recognise when to cut certain players loose and which players are going to become elite. I think it's a shame in that as, as a Spurs fan, I have a lot of respect, a lot of time for Arsene Wenger. What he did for the English game uh, was revolutionary. He made people brush their teeth and put waterfalls in dressing rooms. At the time, yeah. now in Crazy. hindsight, you know it doesn't seem so. The, 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 but the things he brought in don't seem so revolutionary. But I think at the time they were. They did change the game. But I think it's disappointing that it does seem like it's not heading for that fairy tale ending. Now I thought Arsenal were going to win the league. It goes out on a high. This is the season when he steps down. But it's not heading for that fairy tale ending. And I've seen people suggest that in terms of what uh, Kristen's saying there about how the board have shown Wenger too much loyalty. 
They didn't lose the title tonight. They didn't lose the title when they lost against Manchester United. They lost the title when they didn't hire Guardiola when they had the chance, when they didn't hire Klopp when they had the chance, even Ancelotti, and moved on Wenger when, when they had the chance to bring in someone. Because now, but, who'd I mean, ask to bring in at the end of the season? I mean, What's the, how does this play out? You would also say that, you know, had they put a say installed Klopp, I think a lot of people would have put that, especially the time that he was installed at Liverpool, as a slightly disrespectful move toward a manager that had done something for a very long time. I guess the problem is maybe that, again, it's kind of disjunction between what Arsene Wenger wants to achieve, what Arsenal want to achieve, and what Arsenal fans want to achieve. And those three don't seem to have much link. Yeah, it just feels like uh, Arsenal and Arsene Wenger, and maybe even Arsenal fans, have been waiting for that perfect ending, at least a certain section of them. You know, when Arsene Wenger finally wins that Premier League title again, that's when he steps out. It just it, it doesn't seem like it's going to happen. Maybe you're right, yeah. Um, of course, I mean, fairy tales don't always finish in that way. So they don't. They're not out of the title race, though. I think we should we should stress that. Uh, there's ten games to go. Arsenal fans very irate uh, on Twitter at the moment. Of course, there's a big game on Saturday, but at the moment, not out of it. Neither are Spurs, of course. Kristen are losing uh, away at West Ham. Potentially, Spurs' worst performance of the season. Um, really struggled up against uh, an interesting system that Billich Ballet playing with a, a back three that seemed to really confuse Tottenham who seemed off the pace who seemed to be really struggling with West Ham pressing them they, they <laughs> I saw suggestions that you know that there was nerves that they were sort of couldn't handle the pressure but it seemed Uh-oh. but it seemed tactically it was all off as well ah, you're not the only ones that can innovate yeah there you go um, I, I do think it was funny that uh, they served them lasagna this evening. No, they it? didn't. Did they? They did. I think it was a slight a bad moment <laughs> that they decided to play with them. I think what you have to say about Bilic is, is regardless of what has felt like at times a season that's flitted between brilliance and disappointment for West Ham, I think he's just installed a, a slightly different mentality to them in the sense that I saw him say this week that he would Uh-oh. never go into a game wanting to take a point that he believes his players are good enough to win every single game and look that might surprise you to hear from the manager of West Ham and I don't mean that in a disrespectful way I mean that in the sense that they haven't really challenged in the top eight for a a good while and certainly under Allardyce I think confidence was low and to see such a drastic change in the space of, of less than a year is impressive I think again there's no shame in losing to this West Ham side this season because whether you someone that adheres to FFP and thinks you know it must be used as the guidepost, I'd say West Ham have come as close to probably any Premier League club to going against that and really investing heavily. I mean, this season, for example, they lost I think nine million on Matt Jarvis when he went to Norwich for two and a half. Yeah, their accounts are going to make for some interesting reading. Um, I would imagine some of the highlights will have run out when they've been going through it. They were, but, but but then there are. I mean, there. Are, I think that Golden Sullivan are willing to take that hit. Hmm. I th- I think the, the the thing is with with them is, and and I perhaps say this slightly more as a Newcastle fan is, I look at West Ham and I think we've not spent nearly as much as they have during the same period of time. So imagine what we could achieve or do if we spent it. Because I think the, the positions don't reflect. That I appreciate, but I feel like we've spent our money a little bit better. And a little bit smarter, perhaps, in the sense that, bar Dimitri Payet, they've wasted a lot of money. Pe- Obiang is a great example for me of someone who 
they bought and I just don't understand why because he doesn't seem to offer a great deal. He was okay in Italy, but I think he was suited to Italy more importantly. And you look at that kind of situation and think, you know, I wouldn't say it's unfair, that's a, a ridiculous thing. Rather, it's it's perhaps not as impressive from a squad management side. As I, like I mean, I do also think, uh, you know, it's about the long term for, for West Ham as well. And they see themselves moving into a new stadium, all those kind of things. I know that we continually get those tropes out about uh, West Ham. and But the, the issue would also be there are some players moving here in their first season uh, in this league. So the transition to be able to achieve that in the first place and bring this side together like this is a, a good achievement. And so that's at least some form of progress. The problem would be they also seem like players very much in the West Ham mould, if that makes sense. So the, the sort of, the kind of play, literally like Kristen has just said, the kind of players where you kind of go, yeah. They were very impressive tonight, I've got to say. I think they they've located that win. side of the fan base. Because that is, some, as someone that's been to Upton Park, that is something you hear ubiquitously as the West Ham way. It's, it's in the giant banners of Bobby Moore and everything. And they really do believe that kind of hype that there is a, a West Ham style of play mm. I've never seen what it is defined that? personally <laughs> yeah. that's the thing I, nice. I, from what I can gather I think it's I think it's attacking football that looks pretty the thing is is that realistically Sorry, if you ask almost every single fan in England bar a really pessimistic bunch they've probably all seen their club play that at some point and would all subscribe that, you know, that's the way their club plays. But I, I also think that West Ham do pride themselves partly on the the kind of the uh, slightly harder edge of that. So Bobby, I mean, but for the whole reason that Bobby Moore is on those banners is because he's considered to be a very sort of elegant player, but at the same time, the bedrock of a side. He's got the edge. So he sort of embodies... He embodies a lot of what I think a lot of people in uh, sort of think of the stereotype of an East London kind they, of guy. They, um, they did have a bit of that going on tonight. I mean, they were very uh, powerful, as I said. They were sort of pressing high the pitch they're, and they're harrying spurs. They, they, they also have no problem with putting in um, sort of edgy tackles, which are definitely going to put the other side off. Was it proper naughty? I, I'd say it was proper naughty. They are now, Chris, and though, one point off fourth place. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, you're talking about the transformation that Billich has brought in there. Top four yeah. is it's on the cards. It's, it is, and it's it, in fairness to the guy, it's a it's a massive transformation. It's a, a brilliant one as well. That's where I think he deserves credit because I have to say, I think assuming Billich had a hand in most of the deals, I think he's brought expertly. Again, they benefit ever so slightly, and I'm not trying to diminish their achievement from their geographic position in the sense that one of the reasons Pye went there was because he could live in London, on top of the fact I think he was on 90k or something when they approached him. Isn't he going to be on a lot more now? He's probably on a lot more. I would wager he's probably on over 100. I could be wrong. If there's a West Ham fan listening who knows, by all means correct me. But he's definitely on 90 when he joined the So they beat Spurs, as I say, one point off fourth place. Oh, Dave's actually calling us. Here comes the champion. Dave O'Brien joins the podcast. Dave, are you hyped because Manchester United won? Is that what's going on right now? Not really, mate. That was atrocious. (laughs) He's definitely drunken in this strip club. Have I missed a lot? Yeah. Missed it all, mate. That's all we've got time for this week, guys. Thanks for joining us. We're Um, we're about to get on to Spurs, Dave. Feet at West Ham. Three points behind Leicester now. The worst performance of the season is what I, I said to the guys there. Did you manage to catch any of the game over on the the Spurred on live stream that you were you were part of earlier? 
Yeah, well, I was dual screening, so I had the United game on and the Spurs game on. But Spurs were. Tell me what was on the other screen, please. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, a bit of blue. You're watching the City game as well. (laughs) (laughs) No, I thought Spurs were very, very poor, very ordinary. I think they lacked uh, Dembele in midfield, that drive that they've always got. I think Ericsson at attacking midfield, for me, it just doesn't really work. I prefer him when he's drifting, where he's got a bit more freedom from the flank coming in. Instead of being in the middle and feeling a little bit like restricted, that you've got to stay there. You know, you look at his pass map, there's a lot of backward passes um, in the centre of the park. And then when he gets to the final third, it's all very square. So it's one of those things where I just think that maybe the lack of squad depth in central midfield has kind of cost Spurs at the critical point of the season. Oof, he's gone there. Um, Kristen, what have you made? We're talking about Bilic's transformation of West Ham there. Spurs out of nowhere, title challengers, for some people even title favourites. Um, at least they were yesterday probably not after that result they're only uh, three points off the top Jesus. they are only three points off which barometer are you using because it sounds like there's going to be a tornado and then sunshine the next minute no no yesterday once when Leicester dropped points all of a sudden Spurs were the bookies favourite today after today's result it's flipped again um, it's as if there's money involved almost yeah in, in many ways um, but Chris what have you made of Pochettino's transformation then? because it feels like they're overachieving while other teams are underachieving Mm. You, you may have to give me a good 10-15 minutes for this one because I, I really have a lot of time for Pochettino. Wax, um, wax lyrical to me. And I, I wrote about it for, for Yahoo quite recently. Um, and, and essentially, what you're looking at here is someone that is a, a true disciple of Marcelo Bielsa. He worked with him at, at Newell's. He worked with him, I think, as well with Argentina. And he played in a Newell's old boy side that was, was likened to a tractor. Um, because it would just steamroll its opponents. It would really suffocate them. There was a lots of reports around that time of, of opponents saying they were just exhausted once they finished playing that Newell's team. And <clears throat> if I remember right, I think they won the Copa Libertadores. They also won the, the league as well. And it genuinely, it was just a, a team that really did kind of strangle its opponents with pressure. Now, that's a great system, but as you, if you look at Bielsa, it tends to, to drift off and drop away after a while because it's, it's just a notoriously difficult thing to maintain, that much pressure. What I think Pochettino is, is involved and improved upon is he's so meticulous with the players' diets at Tottenham. He, he really does kind of uh, orchestrate them differently for each player and different metabolisms and what have you. And it shows. You look at Kevin Vimmer, who looks much trimmer than when he arrived. I think Christian Eriksen is another good example. Lamella, for me, has gained so much structure in that system that he is now a game-changer. He's not someone that's going to float and drift in and out of games. And I think that type of mercurial player is incredibly incredibly susceptible to that because of the way they play, whereas now he's got a bit more focus to him if you watch him. He, he seems to know what he's, he's doing, for want of a better phrase. And I, I really can't speak highly enough of, of Pochettino. And even if he doesn't win the league, I think he's produced a fantastic baseline for them and yeah it's still an incredible achievement and it lets them go into the summer talking I would argue to a higher caliber of player which is the most important thing I think the interesting thing is I mean we were speaking earlier in the season infamously now Lawrence about Spurs mentality and I get tweets every time Spurs are losing about oh it's that mentality isn't it (laughs) but I think the the thing I'm glad I set up those other accounts now the thing to notice there is that or the thing to note there is that I think, yes, you can argue that uh, Pochettino has changed the mentality of the club. I mean, some of the rules he has brought in, um, I think he's created a good team. He's created an incredible team ethic. But I think as well, what Kristen points to there Mm. is that it's not just mentality. It's the physical aspect. It's the the technical, the tactical aspect 
all of them together have combined to, yes, other teams are underachieving, but all those together have made Spurs into a very formidable team. So you're saying mind and body have combined to change mentality? In, in some ways, results. yes, but I, I feel as if previously, under other managers, it wasn't as if if they flicked a magical mentality switch, we all of a sudden would have won the league. There were many problems at the club in terms of recruitment, in terms of strategy. The hiring of Pochettino was a masterstroke. I mean, I think, no, it is also partly down. You know, we obviously we are in the industry of football, but I think clubs do also have reputations with players. You know, I mean, it's not like they don't visit the ground. It's not like they don't experience atmosphere there. It's not like they don't experience um, and hear things about other managers. You know, how do you train? How do you do this? Do you do this? Do You, you know, when they go to internationals, um, you know, they speak to each other about what goes on at their club. I don't know if it's in any great detail. Like Ronaldo says, it's probably women, cars and trainers. But, you know, at other times there are probably some discussions where they go, oh, you know, I'm looking for a move away from, you know, Manchester United right now because I'm having a miserable time there. What's it like at Spurs? And then some, and then the player will tell them. And I do think mentality has a huge uh, part of that. But I also think you're right, Adam. I think part of it is... And we, we definitely have to acknowledge this. I can see us sort of 12 months down the line here talking about, oh, look, now this side has improved. Now this side has improved. How, in context, good do Spurs look? And I think Kristen hits the nail on the head that, um, you know, Bielsa is a huge part of that. Um, and there are also flaws, Chris, to what Bielsa did. Mm. And mm. I think we have to acknowledge those as well, don't we? Because th- those are... Uh, key parts of a lot of the Bielsa disciples uh, sort of uh, playbook here is that, you know, and I know managers over the longer term probably don't have as much success, which makes Ars- what Arsene Wenger achieved even more incredible. But the point would be with Bielsa, there's sort of, there's a there's almost a burnout time with some of these things. Mm. And so yeah. managers have to act quickly. So, you, and, that, and that's almost why it's a great timing for Levy as well, to, for Spurs to be moving stadium, etc. It, it is. What I would say as well is you have to actually give Levy a little bit of credit as well because I think if you look at the Tottenham projection for the last few years, he was notoriously impatient. He got rid of Redknapp, I think, after a fourth place finish possibly. Uh, Villas Boas went very, relatively early into his Spurs career and Sherwood the same. There was, a, there well, was yeah, issues but, with Pochettino mm-hmm. last season. He, he wasn't this kind of archangel that he's made out to be now he did struggle and in fact I think in November of his first season he had a worse win ratio than Villas Boas and there's there's a lot of reports you can read retrospectively now saying Mauricio Pochettino edging towards the sack at Spurs and all this kind of thing but credit to Levy he stuck with him and I think that faith is is being rewarded now I think he realized that actually it takes time to to get the methods in there because for all the talk even of Pochettino being about this high intensity, this high pressure, there's a lot of organisation in there as well. And it takes time to to get the players to understand that and understand their position relative to the rest of the group. And I think that's what I'm saying though, Adam, is that from inside and outside the club, you've also got to acknowledge that there are reasons why managers are kept or gotten rid of sometimes. Yeah, I think Kristen's right. I think you do need to give a lot of credit to Levy in terms of there have consistently been strategic mistakes on Spurs' part in, in the past, whether it be hiring of managers, whether it be recruitment of players. I think when Harry Redknapp did finish fourth, I think there was a recognition that the, the plan needs to be longer term. I think Harry Redknapp, even though he did finish fourth, and it was an incredible achievement, he was a very short-term manager, never had the bigger picture in mind. I think that's why they brought in AVB, who at the time, although he had a bad time at Chelsea, was 
uh, probably the most promising young manager in the game. Still it is one of them. Of no, course, yeah. Still got it didn't quite work out after two seasons. Of course, we bring in uh, our very own Guardiola, <laughs> Tim Sherwood, which didn't quite work out either. But I think although he was chopping and changing those managers, he realised, OK, we need to get someone in for the long term who's going who's gonna to help us shepherd this project along while we look to move into this new stadium. And that's why the, the, the hiring of Pochettino was such a masterstroke. Can you imagine if Manchester United hired him when it was two seasons ago when they were looking for that manager? Obviously, then it may have seemed a, a bit of a step up for him. But I think bringing him in, as I say, he, he's transformed every aspect of the club. Yes, mentality, technical, tactical, physical, and that's transformed us into this team. But you do also have to acknowledge that. I mean, the same the same could be said for. I mean, you know, look retrospectively at um, you know uh, now looking at David Moyes' win record, suddenly it doesn't look so terrible. Yeah, everything you know, I think Kristen says it time and time again. Hindsight is twenty twenty. But it's also that you you could say you know if Pochettino had gone into United and had a worse win ratio than AVB had at Spurs, things could have gone very differently because fans can turn on you. But I think there are certain managers who get time. Uh, and it almost takes that series of events. It takes a, you know, the 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 kind of having to go through the red naps and the Sherwoods and all those other things to understand that maybe some some patience is needed. I think that's that, that's the key thing. We've managed to we've been through those bad times and we they've learned from them and made better strategic decisions. When you look at Manchester United, you'd argue they've been very poorly run and they've made a series of mistakes since. Do you think that's changed the way that the fans approach Levy and indeed therefore the managers they've got? 100%. I think what's the, the stat you look at? Spurs are the only team that have made a profit, a net transfer profit, the past five seasons. I think we're, we're 30 million up. We spent well, the same as Arsenal. I mean, mm, the yeah, bail skews bail that figure, really. really. Yeah, of course. But we, we spent the same as Arsenal, but we've made 100 million more from player sales. As you say, 85 of that is bail. But I think. But, <laughs> so we've made 15 million more. But I think you have to recognise that, that that's a change in approach from Levy and the fans definitely have recognised that and I think they appreciate that rather than splurging millions upon useless players yeah. we've actually got a much more considered transfer policy when we splurged all that money after Bale came in who did we you know we bought Soldado bought Chiriquez bought Paulinho most of them are gone apart from Chadley and Ericsson yeah. we've made much smarter signings like Dali Ali who no one else seemed to uh, seem to want to make a move for we've brought in Toby Alderweireld Kevin Vimmer Wait, did you say no one wanted to make a move for Deli Alley. Well, Manchester United were interested, right? <coughs> and so was Brendan Rodgers. Well, no, Newcastle but... would have been in five million. Wonder why he went to Spurs. I wonder why. Oh, <laughs> probably because he wanted a silver medal. No, but I mean, what I'm trying to say is, <laughs> oh, double banter. <laughs> At least he's not playing in the championship next season. <laughs> I think, I think... still games to play, Dave. Still games to play. Sure. Wait, is, that, <laughs> the, is that triple banter there from Dave? Triple layers of banter. There. Calm, Dave, who's only just joined on the fucking podcast, and his team got dragged to a one-nil win tonight by Fanata, the, the player who was slating earlier in the week. I want to, before we move on to Manchester United, I just want to ask Kristen, um, after this latest round of results, we talk about every week, mm. who is your pick for the title after this latest sea change? I'm going to say Leicester. I, yeah. I, it feels like it's going to happen, doesn't it? It feels like it's falling into place from every result went their way tonight, pretty much. I, oh, I yeah. just feel like they won't uh, trip themselves up enough. It's, as much as the, the result against West Brom was disappointing. Selling a little or a lot? 
Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I felt like there was a lot of confidence still in them. The, the fact that, and I tweeted as much, that when Andy King scored, he didn't run off as if he'd scored a winner in the World Cup. He was really kind of nonchalant about it. That, that whole, there's just a a vibe, a real intangible about Leicester that makes you think they really are kind of taking this one game at a time and they're not overcomplicating the process for themselves. Guys, uh, can I ask you, and I think this is probably the key point about tonight's games, how many more TV character celebrations do you think Antonio can get in to a season? I love them to all be Homer Simpson celebrations. The Homer Simpson one was good, the Carlton one was good. He could do a Will Smith one, he could do... Who else could he do from TV? Um, um, there's not that many. I, I, um, could he go for a kind of a? I don't know. Would you go down like the Mr. Burns route? Could do the uh, Bartman. Could he could do the Bartman? Yeah, I prefer if it was all Simpsons characters. I would like to see that. Well, yeah, but he's done Carlton now, so it's not going to be all Simpsons characters. God's really. sake, he's completely what, ruined what you, it. What you mean is you prefer if it was all characters from uh, six o'clock onwards on BBC Two during the mid two thousand? Yes, that's a little yeah. slightly bit broader. <laughs> Can't wait to see his egghead celebration. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be quite something. Um, Dave, let's, uh, let's talk a little bit about Manchester United. Juan Mata pulling That's it out the bag. Uh, somehow, Louis van Gaal's top four hopes are still alive. Yeah, somehow. This is such an inconsistent United team. You play The midfield plays brilliantly against Arsenal. Then for most of the game, barring a Juan Mata free kick, was very, very poor again. Weren't aggressive. We're playing the ball forwards. We're sloppy in possession. It's just, it's just so frustrating to watch. It, it's absolute rubbish. It's it, the style of football is terrible. You know, the only only thing that you can think, you know, Fusu Mensa, who should have been in this first team, you know, ages ago. When you consider who we've been playing at centre back, you know, yeah, credit for bringing players through Van Al. No, shut up. These players, Fusu Mensa is, you know, after tonight's performance against Igalo and uh, Troy Deeney. Two very, very physical strikers, two strikers in this Premier League season that have been very, very good. You know, he made them he, he made them look, you know, normal in a way with his strength, his ability on the recovery. And it's just it's just rubbish. Like well, yeah. like Louis Van Al's he's, he's hiding behind this this sort of big fraudulent image he's built of himself. Do you think um Dave that Watford deserved well, to win? Yeah, Watford Watford deserved to win that game. Watford were clean through on goal, I think, three times. They pressed really well. So what they did was they let um, Daley Blind have the ball at centre-back um, and they didn't press him. But what they did is they, they, they put a pressing trap on the left-back. 
So as soon as the ball went to was going to go towards Rojo, they'd nick it. So they'd step in then. So they, you know, press United to condense the side of the pitch, shifted all the guys over. And it was really, really good. Tactically, it was really interesting. And they created a number of chances from, from nicking that from that situation. Or they did it on the other side as well. The Daily Blind had the ball and they'd set the trap up for the right back. They'd invite United to play down the right back's throat. And they'd nick the ball and they'd go. And it's, it's really good to see that the tactically the Premier League's improving. But United, what? <laughs> what they started the game. <laughs> they started the game right, and they, um, Schneiderlin had the ball. Looked for Anthony Martial in behind, behind Hoblas. Hoblas isn't the best defender. He clean through, was pretty much got clean through. Uh, a bit of a dodgy touch, and he didn't score straight away. Uh, next sort of phase of play, under Herrera plays a ball to the back post again to, to Anthony Martial in the space behind Hoblas. They do that twice in the first like fifteen minutes, and then you just stop doing it. And it's just like, what, as a player, what are you doing? There's a weakness there. You look, you've exploited the weakness twice and then you've just stopped doing it like that. It's just... So, so, uh, David, it's, so, David, what are you saying? You're saying that Van Gaal isn't motivating the players, correct? The players don't play, aren't playing for him. Full stop, they're not playing for him. And, tactically, and So whose fault is that, Dave? Because if things are to be believed behind the scenes that are going on, then is that really his fault? What is his fault? Because his style of play has been so poor and so laboured and... and so like stringent in what it's doing, that hundred percent is his fault. He, you know, he shows that sometimes they they're released and then they're not again. Or you know, what is it? Why is it so inconsistent? It's a manager's job is to get consistency and winning. You know, a consistency out of their players, get them performing every single week, and it's just not working. Well, Dave, I mean that that's also that's not true, is it? A manager's job is to do what uh, a he sets out he's supposed to do. So I think every well, spend, manager's spend job is- a quarter of a billion and and get the get the team pretty much exactly like where he was when he bloody started well i mean then you've got to look up to the boardroom as well haven't you but then you've also got to look at dave i mean you cannot say that you know just because van gaal was forced into playing rashford or forced into playing uh Fosumensa, that therefore he is not getting something good out of them it's not by pure chance that he sort of goes oh, fine okay you can be in the team he has yeah. to train them he has to bring them up to this level he has to get them to score the goals he has to put the players in the correct positions well, so so you so Marcus Rashford, who hasn't been around the first team squad at all for any of the season, suddenly has been thrust in through injury. Like it's, it's yeah, Dave, he still he still has to train him to a certain point to which he will be able to play with the rest of the side. Rashford is a raw player. Rashford looks like he the Van Hal philosophy on Rashford has not been touched yet. He's very very raw. He takes players on. He, he looks to run in behind. He's doing the right things. He's being a natural striker, not a Lou Van Hal striker that we've seen. Robin van Persie, Falcao, Wayne Rooney. You know, times uh, Martial, you know, went for a bad spell of form because he was doing the wrong thing. It looked like he wasn't playing his natural game and he was coming towards the ball. And it's, you know, there's only one man that you can sort of talk about that. It's instructions. And you can't fail with that amount of good strikers. That's the big problem. He's failed with so many good strikers. But there's a massive, in- there's, an, there's an issue there. They're not creating enough chances. Which comes which of these good strikers has he failed with, Dave? Robin van Persie. He failed with Robin van he failed, with one of the, he failed with one of the biggest egos in the game, Robin Van Persie. But is that is that not a, is he a good striker? Or is he not a good striker? Well, I don't know, Dave. I mean, the, the point would be that there's, that yeah, some people would look at Robin Van Persie and say that's a, a striker who Manchester United should have moved on after the season they won the title with. Completely him. disagree. Should have moved on Wayne Rooney, and that was the issue. That was a Van Gaal decision. Do, Van well, Gaal one of it, it's not, it, it, also it's not a, it's not a case of doing one or the other. You could go down both routes right. and say both guys Ron, are Ron off. Van was becoming a leader in that team. He was becoming the man that people were looking up to. And you know, Some when when Van Persie, part of the problem. 
is is that a, you know another issue with Van Hal? He clashes with too many people. He clashes with personalities. He clashed with you know why has Patrice ever moved on? A leader of the club moved on. Let's, I, I think what's remarkable about Manchester United is they are on the same points as Manchester City somehow. Yes, City have a game in hand, but Kristen City have lost three Premier League games in a row now. City have got worse form than Manchester United since November. It's insane. They've, the, the last three games, they've lost to Leicester, Spurs and now Liverpool. Their record against teams in the top half uh, is awful. 1-0 Sterling. Kristen, oh. what, what, what is going on with this implosion? I, I just think they're a team that, even with company present, I question how much dominance there is in the midfield. You talk about moving players on. Yaya Toure for me, and I've seen him in in person quite recently he looks a lot older than the age that he claims now I'm not making any bold accusations what I'm saying is you're just saying it but are you just talking about his look just implying he, he carries himself like a player who is closer to 40 than, than 30 and I think the time to move him on was, was maybe a year ago mm. I, th- I think this is something that, that teams forget as well and it's it's one of the things that's present in the book Soconomics of with Jean-Michel Olas and it says that you should be planning to replace your star players before you get rid of them. Mm-hmm. And again, it sounds like such an obvious thing. I just think so many teams don't do it. I think they get caught in the moment of, of having this great player and also maybe struggling to find that replacement and handling that transition. In general, I think English teams really do struggle with the, the idea of transitioning players out whether they be club legends or just players that have, have become influential. And when you look at City this evening, I think that's what we saw. We saw a side that was quite timid in midfield. I think, again, they really struggled with, with pressure being placed on them, very organised, concerted pressure. That's a, a, a theme that I've noticed with the, the Tottenham game, with the Leicester game, and also with the Liverpool game, is that there's three sides that, that really do kind of pride themselves on their ability to close down space in your half and try and take it back off you. Do you think as well? That's talk, cost them. We're talking about you know the, the strategic decisions that Spurs have made well. Maybe Man United haven't made as well. City as well. We're talking about the recruitment of replacing uh, players who may maybe should be on their way out, but also other signings they've made. Mangala, you know, uh, Otamendi have been questioned. The team doesn't look balanced, does it? Well, no, oh, but I mean, we, we've, we've pointed that. I think a lot of people have pointed that out. But at the same time, I think maybe their repost would be, well, we've been waiting for Pep. But you can't, sure, I think it goes back further than Pellegrini personally. I think it, a lot of the, the city spending personally. Would you blame Mark like, Hughes? No, I wouldn't blame oh. Mark Hughes because he looks like he kicked the living crap out of me. Um, I think it goes back further and, and it just always felt like when, when City got the money and, and started to spend it, it felt like they were just buying what they thought looked good. So they bought people like Kolarov from Lazio and players like this and I just thought, how, how is this feeding into something greater? And I look at my own club as an example and say that, again, while they are utterly useless and probably going into the second tier, they identified that they need some, needed someone to pull the strings so they bought John Joe Shelby. That's the kind of thing I mean, identifying the problem or when you buy a player or when a player becomes available, whichever, identifying how he fits in the greater picture. And that's the problem I think City have had is that in changing manager in the way that they have, it just means that the the group who have been left with the new manager, mm-hmm. they don't necessarily fit his plan. And that's, again, I'm going to reference that OLS transfer rules. It's the idea of you shouldn't really give a new manager loads of money because he'll end up wasting it. And 
actually you should force them to work with the squad that is currently at the club and and then address problems that come up in due course. And that's where Klopp is an interesting case study almost. Yeah. Definitely. I think again I think the idea that there'll be wholesale changes at Liverpool in the summer I'm not sure if I subscribe to that. I think certainly a goalkeeper will be one. I think he'll address maybe parts of the spine or or the fullback options. But I think on the whole, he'll be quite pleased with what he has and there'll just be fine trimming and fine tuning of the squad because a lot of them seem to understand how they're, they're able to perform relative yeah, to the I team. think there's a difference between wholesale and fundamental, aren't there? Um, mm, and, and there's also, I think part of the problem is that the evaluation of players when they do not win is people go, well, you know, they're, they're average or, uh, you know, these players are bang average and you just get a very basic evaluation of a player because once you put them in that bracket, your evaluation of them changes. It's never relative either. That's the other problem is that yeah, absolutely, you, know, yeah. you, you kind of see that, oh, he's average. he's average for a side that aspires to win the league. But I guarantee you, the player in question, whoever you want to talk about, Lallana or whatever, again, put him in a side that's 10 to 15, and I bet he'd stand out by a country mile. Lallana was absolutely fantastic against City. I mean, some, some of his great pieces of skill, um, you know, there are moments he has which are fantastic. The goal was a big surprise, I think, for everyone. I mean, even Klopp looks surprised. I think even Adam Lallana looks surprised. But, it, you know, it was a better... Liverpool deserved this performance because it, it, it was better. But th- at the same time, City were just not there. So, Would you have preferred you know, to win on Sunday and lose tonight? Oh, I, I think absolutely, yeah. Um, but I also think the main issue with it is that City were just not competing with Liverpool. There was barely any competition. You can write it, write the narrative however you want. Um, you know, City are only interested in the Champions League, blah, blah, blah. But you can't write off what the, what the narrative is that certain players in that squad are trying to write, which is company trying to say, you know, we're hungry now again. We're hunting. Well, you've just got your fucking leg bitten off in a trap then in the middle of the woods. <laughs> there is the, the very real possibility now that they could drop out of the top four. Guardiola comes in. City haven't even qualified for Champions League football. They're on 47 points, United on 47, West Ham on 46. That uh, Manchester derby at the end of the month, Dave, could be, uh, could be fireworks. There's some furious emails going to Guardiola. Um, yeah. Can you send us the contract? Yeah. <laughs> you haven't actually uh, sent it back yet, mate. Shit! <laughs> it, would be pretty, uh, it would be pretty cataclysmic, I think, if they didn't qualify for the Champions League. Good word, Adam. I kind of think they're going to win the league. Man City... Seriously. Ten points behind Leicester. Ten, ten games to go. There will be seven um, with ten to go. They've, yeah, they've broken right. bigger margins. They came back from eight points um, to catch United. Yeah, that a similar, was a United team. That wasn't uh, yeah, that's what I mean. A very a similarly bottly United team. Um, and I just, feel, I just feel like, you know, this, yeah, this, uh, t- today the defeat was, was a big defeat, but it sort of it is revenge from the cup final. Were they out on the lash on Sunday night? Probably. You know, there's only three days of recovery, then you've got to play a massive game against Liverpool. Liverpool didn't play with Sturridge today, so they had a bit more, you know, a bit more pressing to them. You know, Firmino, again, was outstanding, Milan or whatever. It's, it seemed like this side was the side they probably should have played in the cup final. Not against, no, nothing against Daniel Sturridge, but he doesn't give you the same work that, you know, a younger striker would give Origi you. does. Yeah, but I mean, then, Dave, I mean, you could also say that to do with, you know, I mean, look at Firmino's end, uh, end yeah. product today. I mean, there's a tweet exactly. that I think I just saw a minute ago, which says, uh, I mean, you know, it, it's also with end product, you know, Pyatt is much more about the system, but Pyatt, 19 matches, seven goals, five assists. Firmino, 17 matches, six goals, six assists. But then you would say that Pyatt has much more influence on the player. I'd love to see his pass completion rate and take on, etc. Um, and how he moves teams around. 
But that, uh, for me, I was even reading that and I was sort of thinking, well, that they seem like very low stats for what we seem to be lauding Pyatt for this season. But still. Yeah, I think, I think a lot more, though, didn't he? <laughs> With Firmino as well, he's been a little bit hot and cold in a way. Like he didn't have the greatest game in the cup final, but then that's like typical Firmino. He bangs in a two goals in the first, was it two against Arsenal? And then the second half, he was absolutely anonymous. But it'll take time for him to adjust to the Premier League, wouldn't it? You know, it's, it's a different league to the Bundesliga. It's more physical, kind of like, so. yeah, it, it is also kind of uh, like a, any normal striker, I guess. Um, you know, there, there yeah. are a lot of strikers out there, or average striker at the moment, um, who sort of go through hot and cold patches. Listen, we've uh, discussed our Premier well, League reaction here. We're discussing our Premier League reaction. We're talking about the biggest clubs in England. I think this is going to bring us on perfectly to our talking point. Crystal tonight, Palace. Oh. The European Super League. In all the British press then, uh, yesterday was the news that England's five biggest clubs held secret talks about a new European Super League. It didn't, but all right. Also, you some people... don't need to play more games. So... <laughs> Or so some <laughs> newspapers claimed. So whatever they were discussing, Manchester United, Chelsea, Arsenal, Man City, <laughs> Liverpool, uh, the, the executives from all of those clubs met with American billionaire Stephen Ross at the Dorchester Hotel. This was on Tuesday. Now the reports were that they were meeting about European Super League. They denied that. They say they were talking about the International Champions Cup. Yeah, which, is, which would uh, make a lot more sense. Which is a friendly competition. That, that just uh, sounds like a total rerun of European Super League. <laughs> no, no. So the, the International Champions Cup is the friendly tournament that's played it's, in the summer with certain the clubs. The European that, Super League on pro The giant death yeah. laser. No, <laughs> we were talking about the Lighty Lighty Bang Bang. Yeah. This is the, no, that's the, the competition. Point would be, the point would also be with that, right, is that actually... Arsenal have come out and categorically denied it. Like Arsenal have gone long, you know, so long lines of, you know, we absolutely do not want a European Super League. They have, yeah, but you know, it's not the first time. But that's never stopped us rising and falls headline, has it? Just imagine oh. Arsenal going, "Is there a trophy for finishing fourth? Yeah, no, we're not interested. <laughs> we're right. Firstly, Kristen, whether or not this idea was discussed, which some newspapers are reporting. The sun, so it's bollocks. Which some newspapers <laughs> are reporting. Yeah. This is an idea. This is an and idea. They're still lying bastards, but all right. But this newspaper the... whose Thursday front page is an absolute abomination, by the way. Yeah, oh, <laughs> Jesus, what what it's genuinely up. like disgusting. What is it? Yeah, it's not. Uh, it's Adam, Adam Johnson, Johnson and the, the headline is "Pedo and a Speedo." Oh Jesus! <laughs> no. Anyway, back onto the uh, the European Sea League. So, whether or not the where was this po- reported? It's what the speedo in a speedo piece of speedo no, no, the, uh, yeah because I'm trying to look that up yeah the uh, the Super League so it was in the sun but the guard right, brilliant okay no thanks Adam but other newspapers have been uh, suggesting similar conclusions we're only suggesting it despite what these teams and these executives said despite all of them saying they were not meeting about that and multiple sources saying we're yeah, not interested Premier League clubs are always completely honest aren't they they always tell the truth what I'm trying to say is that whether or not the sun is accurate, this is an idea that have been, has been floated for a long time and that an idea that some people seem as inevitable. Yeah. Chris, what do you make of a European Super League? Because it's not the most popular idea ever. It's, it's the chocolate teapot of uh, football competitions, purely, purely because, again, it, it locks out so many people. And it, let's just suspend the, the belief of whether it is happening or whether it was discussed about or not. It's to me, that, it, it? it really does kind of stink of greedy teams being even more greedy in the sense that they want a competition just for them where they're always qualifying. There's no general kind of 
parameters that have to be met and they get to have even more money and all this kind of stuff. I just think it's a bad idea and yet it's an idea that seems to proliferate itself, I would imagine, because the clubs who are in that potential tier really like the idea of it because it would make them a heck of a lot of money, I'd imagine. Well, that's the thing, Arsenal, I know Laurent Shaw saying that Arsenal denied me about European Super League, but what they did me about was this International Champions Cup, which is a, is a friendly competition in the summer. But mm. They also discussed formats of existing European competitions and otherwise yeah. that would complement the existing Premier League. Those are those words. Yeah. And there has been talk that the elite Premier League clubs and elite European clubs want to tweak the Champions League so that they are automatically included every single year. That there is no qualification that they are in it. And I think that speaks to what Kristen's talking about there. These clubs want to consolidate their position as the elite. Whether or not it's a European Super League, they they, they did admit they're discussing the format of European competitions. Yeah, I mean, that really would be... Uh, it would definitely be a step for me in the wrong direction in football. Um, I mean, it would definitely guarantee entertainment. Um and there are certain people, I mean, there the, the probably also a lot of people are justifying it by globalisation, uh, which is just a terrible idea in the first place. Um, so I, I don't, I mean, I see where the financial gains are and I see almost where the footballing progression is. But you're almost looking at not a whole other sport, but a whole other format for the sport when you get to this point. Because, you know, this is, this is almost the same as the NBA and NFL. You almost get to the point where you, you know, it, it, you would almost have to sort of do a, uh, a kind of a, right, we're going to go to Germany, France, and, or, or, you know, three teams in Germany, we're going to play them in the same way that, you know, New York Knicks fly to Texas and play, you know, Houston, uh, San Antonio, and Phoenix. I definitely think it speaks to uh, a fear on these clubs' part. I mean, Leicester and Tottenham, who are the top two in the Premier League, weren't involved in these discussions. We're looking at teams like, you know, even City now, United, Liverpool, who who might not even qualify for the Champions League next season. So I think, as Kristen says, there is a greenness there in terms of if they were talking about a European Super League, uh, it is to consolidate that position. I think the thing that makes it seem all a bit suspect to me, Dave, is the fact that, Yes, they've come out and denied it all, but why were these five clubs talking to uh, a US billionaire a, a, who owns a US firm? What is that? Why are they talking to him about the formats of European competitions? Why are they talking to that man with all the money? Oh, Lawrence has just put it spot on, hasn't he? Why are they talking to the man with all the money? It's just a, it's, it's, a, it's something that I agree with Lawrence with what we were saying before. It's something that should never happen. I think it would destroy football. It'd be the beginning of the end for the great game that we all love. Um, I feel like the different European cup. You know, obviously, it's, it's just history of, of you know every single con, you know club competition we've got, like Serie A, Bundesliga. You know anything down to like League Two in in England is good because it's competitive in a way where you could go and see a team you know win a game, lose a game. But this would just be a bit it devalue that massively, and we you know we'd be watching these super teams that just suck the life out of these leagues. They take all the good players. There'd be no investment in these leagues. There'd be no investment in youth youth academies again, and it'd just be uh, you know it's it's just not good. It'd go down that very Americanized system. And it works in America because of the way that the college system works, right? You know, the college system's geared to build you know build players for the NFL. Let's say that's not how it works in football, and it's it'd be the completely wrong way. Obviously, apart from the the MLS, um, but apart from that, I just feel it's completely wrong. And it's Hopefully, it won't happen. Hopefully, this was a meeting about the uh, what was it the International Champions Cup that everyone wants to watch in the summer. 
Thank you. But would would also be, Adam, that uh, this could go down a number of routes. Uh, International bank, I mean, you can draw uh, parallels with international banking. The further that international banks have gone up the hierarchy, the higher the stakes have been. The more money that's been invested, the more that people have had to lose. And so ultimately, this will be the ultimate investment for these clubs. It would be very difficult to then break that structure down afterwards. So it's very difficult to challenge anyone with that kind of hegemony. Because once you've entered that, if you leave that, you're in real trouble. Because financially, you are going back to or taking a step down from what is seen as the ultimate financial end. So it's very difficult to leave that once you're in. It also gets to the point where if if those teams are split away to a certain point, I I would like to see the English FA take its own stance because I do think the the FA and a lot of FAs don't take enough of a stand against clubs and people who speak for and about clubs. It would be great if they then said, great, we're going to take the game in our own country and we're going to grow it in a different way. So you could see a split in the game in that some people will see the um, merit of staying uh, at a certain level. So, you know, what would be seen as, as the Premier League level right now because you know, you can stay in one country, all those kind of things. And other players would choose, it would almost cause a split. And people would almost have to choose their career path. Yes, yeah, it's just, yeah. It, I mean, there's also, there's implications for the players here. There's implications for agents. There's implications for then transferring between Super League. All different, all, so many implications there that you would say that it, it requires everything to be so perfect and in place, and it would have to be forced through with a lot of people against it. Oh, I, don't, I don't think it will happen personally, and I think it is a terrible idea. I think, as Dave says, it it it, were, it, it does ruin the game if these these clubs break away. But I think changes the game. Yeah, not for the better in any way, though. But I think. Well, I mean, for the for the better in some time. I mean, it's we have to acknowledge that there is going to be. Some great football played, etc. No, I think it's. I think what makes the Premier League so fantastic is the the unpredictability. About I think there are all these different teams and all these different storylines. I yeah. think the Champions League almost feels not boring, but there is a certain routine to it. Seeing Barcelona play Arsenal every season, I, I, I don't want to see that. You know, I like the the risk, the unpredictability of the Premier League title race this season, even relegation. But if these teams, the, the, the top four teams from every, you know, the top five European leagues broke away, form their own league, I don't think it's going to be for the good of the game. I know there will be all the superstars there and, as you say, all the best teams. I don't think it will happen, but I understand why, say, Liverpool, who are struggling to reach the elite again, Chelsea, who are struggling this season, United, who haven't transitioned since Alex Ferguson left. I just feel like, yes, the Sun were reporting it and the Sun are not the most reliable newspaper, Yes, Arsenal have come out and denied it uh, completely, but there's a logic to why these teams would want to do that. And I think there's evidence that their, their mentality is that way, that they want to consolidate their position. And this would be one hell of a way to do it, to create a European Super League with billionaires backing it. I don't think it will happen because you know UEFA has come out and said they're completely against it. They, you know, they've said they'll fight any attempt by these clubs to start a league. Well, I think the, the bigger, the, there's an even bigger problem there, Adam, is that if these pl- clubs are playing in a European Super League, uh, I mean, <laughs> we've seen fans walk out over £77 for a ticket. If you want to play in a European Super League, it's much more than £77 a ticket. Oh, yeah, of course. I mean, 
I was looking up tickets to uh, to go to Dortmund next week, and it's still you know, everything included is incredibly expensive. Can you imagine having to go to Barcelona one week? You're going to you know buy Munich the net. Yeah, I just feel like this is a whether they were distraction it, from what's actually going on in the game, so no, that people no, can push other things through. Because no. if you keep the population sort of talking about something which is quite trivial, say. Donald Trump, then you can get away with other things in the background whilst no one's really watching because you're sort of waving whilst you're taking their watch. There's a media student for you, a fellow media student. Um, I love how you say fellow afterwards. What, basically <laughs> is, what you said there was, I want to distance myself from this statement. But remind, I no, no, it's reminding me of being back in my lectures. It's reminding me of being back in my lectures. No, what I'm, try- I'm just trying to say that I think this is a worrying sign. I don't think it is a distraction. I think these clubs meeting with this billionaire is a worrying sign. Whether they were talking about European Super League, whether they were talking about playing uh, Premier League games abroad, you know, the 38th game that everyone, you know, has been discussed for years. Whether they were talking about, you know, we need to make sure we get automatic qualification for the Champions League each season. I think whatever they were discussing, I think is a worrying sign for football. Can we also look at, though, the fact that the NBA does work and the NFL does work and NHL does work? I think they're and those very are all employed... different systems, though. Very um, no, I know, I know. And those have been embedded systems for a very long time. I mean, mm. you know, but there is something to that, you know, that, um, that those teams still manage to cultivate a relationship with their fans. It's a very different situation, though, realistically. Geographically, a lot of the, I mean, you realistically you don't have away sections in a basketball game. No, um, I'm I'm only I'm only trying to sort of progress the conversation here. I'm not necessarily relative sort of to the leagues as well. They were they were born into single entity. They weren't. It wasn't something where they tried a divisional system and then make, said yeah, actually, exactly. yeah. Well, if any, if anything, a lot of people are actually moving towards a divisional thing away from single entity in the states now. Um, but yeah. Well, you've got the D League as well and stuff like that, don't you? So it's, it's although I think I, th- I do think D League is actually being ch- uh, the the structure of the D League and the way that works is actually being changed, and that's because of a very good commissioner. And the problem being that actually there's a, a massive difference between the NBA, NHL, and NFL, and everything else in the UK. But you can definitely say with the NBA is they currently have a commissioner who seems very well liked and mm-hmm. does seem to care about the fans. Um, and it, I mean, it's difficult to say that about UEFA for the moment, isn't it? There is that aspect I mentioned about that they want guaranteed qualification. So apparently this came out a few months ago that the European Club Association is apparently putting pressure on UEFA to offer guaranteed Champions League spots to to the biggest clubs. Why? There are teams in Germany, Italy and Spain who are scared of the financial muscle the Premier League now has, right? Because how much money have we got now with that TV deal? And that's just a domestic TV deal. Is it the bottom, bottom place club next year gets 100 million? Yeah, and the the foreign rights haven't even been sold off yet. So, Christian, do you yeah. think that there is a fear among these other leagues that the Premier League could almost be, get out of hand soon, and maybe they'd like a European Super League because they could get a slice of the pie almost? Essentially, yeah, I, th- I think that would be the best way to describe it because <clears throat> I, I know a lot of the leagues have already voiced their concern at, at just how much the Premier League is is getting and giving to its teams due to those television rights. As I say, I think I think the issue here just remains the fact that it, it simply isn't fair more than anything. I think it's it's quite arrogant as well for, for certain teams to assume that they should now be granted this status when you look at some of them and they weren't always in Europe. They weren't always part of this mix. They've they've grown over time. There was a period where 
Celtic were a major European power, where you could argue Milan were a major European power. It, it's very cyclical, I think, in terms of how we shift the power around Europe on those competitions. So to, to remove all that kind of back and forth just seems ridiculous to me. And to be honest, I'm still laughing at the thought of when you said UEFA fighting for it. I just imagine them all meeting in a car park or something. Yeah, I mean, there is an image. Um, D- Dave, how much better... Can you throw a cover kettle over a pub? That's D- the real quiz. That's D- the Dave, real quiz. You do, obviously, do the stats for Champions League as well. How much better are the stats in Champions League? Like, do teams actually play harder? You know, do they... Are there, is there more success in... You know, is it actually a better standard of football overall? No, no, it's, it's probably similar to other competitions, but you, you just... The play, it's, it's harder to be at the top. It's harder to score the goals. It's harder to you know, dribble past opponents. But the players that stand out are still stand out. It's interesting that like the trend over the last few years has been teams that uh, obviously press. So teams that win tackles or win interceptions in, in the opposition's half are teams that are progressing to the finals and so forth. But it, it isn't. It's similar. So a team's stats in the league will be similar to a team's stats in the Champions League. So it will sort of cross-correlate for most clubs. But you do get, you know, you do get your Rosenbergs that will get absolutely smashed. Uh, we'll have stats like Sunderland, so it isn't it isn't a bigger in a way where you know there's a massive statistical difference in the, in, in the numbers. It's just that the the good clubs will continue their numbers and they'll they'll beat the the middle ground and, and the lower clubs like they do beat the likes of uh, Sunderland or the likes of uh, let's say you know Bournemouth sometimes get turned over this season. Do you know what I mean? Like that type of thing. It's not it's not a great difference in in ability, you'd say. Right, let's wrap up there, lads. We've been talking for a very long time. Very interesting discussion. Uh, Kristen, thank you for coming on the podcast this week, stepping in for Dave uh, while he was away. If the good people want to go and find you on Twitter, which they should definitely be doing, where you're tweeting out all your articles, where can they go? Uh, at K-H-E-N-E-A-G-E. Fantastic. Uh, Lawrence? Ooh, uh, at K-H-E-N-E-A-G-E. Definitely check that one out. And yeah. uh, Dave? I don't know, mate. I've forgotten how to spell. I'm gonna be honest with you, chaps. Squawk a Dave on Twitter. I had a discussion with I had a discussion with uh, someone at TFL the other day. They were very confused about how Squawk is spelled. Yeah. It, it's yeah. Just, you know the word Squawk. Does it have a W yes. in it usually? Yeah, it does, doesn't it? Uh, I don't know, this guy was very confused. He was also wondering why it's called Squawker. Um, it's uh, the founders based it on Twitter, like you know, like tweeting. Yeah. They wanted to have something for sport. So squawking came around and then it went to squawker. Yeah. What's squawking got to do with sport? Well, tweet, it's the same as tweeting, isn't it? They had, a, they had a company to come out with that. That's mad. Yeah. That's mad. Uh, if you want to follow Great me guys, on Twitter at K-H-E-N-E-A-G-E. What about why scored? No. <laughs> what about what scored? Oh, no. That's a, that's a very limited, just one beach ball statistic. Okay, we've got how scored. Any votes? <laughs> right. Right, lads. You better back off, all right? If you get personal. <laughs> what about where scored? No, it doesn't really have three lads. You can't insult me at all. Hey, mate. I'll, I'll come after you, mate. Register those domains. Thank you very much, Chris. Thank you very much, Dave. Thank you very much, Lawrence. Thank you very much for listening. Everyone out there, I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Remember to get your questions in for the Q&A. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Podcast on Saturday. Until then, though, have a great week. Bish bash bosh.